0: Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by Diana Dybel, who is the Chief Design Officer at Grand Studio, where she specializes in crafting different tools. And she's worked on a bunch of different AI-enabled tools for industries, ranging from healthcare to finance. She is the co-author of the influential book, uh, Conversations with Things, which kind of goes into the nuances of conversational AI. Um, She has a rich background in qualitative UX research, and a focus on healthcare applications. So Diane is a leading voice in the AI and design community, and we're super happy to have her on. Welcome to the show today, Diana.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Super excited to have you on. I kind of wanted to kick this off and ask you a little bit about your just like background and your journey. Um, You know, So right now you've you've worked in a number of different AI tools. Did you ever like think like, oh, man, someday I'm like, I'm really interested in AI and kind of work on like some tools and things in that space. Or are you kind of more just like focused on de- a, uh, design, what you want to do there? And this kind of just like evolves as, you know, the world changes.
1: Yeah, I neither. Um... <laughs> okay. My degree is in playwriting. So I come very much from like a storytelling, um, investigative journalism, dialogue centric type of mindset. So I worked in entertainment for a while before I even got into um, into the design world. And it was very much like through that path of script writing, which is a very easy and for any conversation designer. Um, And from there, it was just sort of like all the pieces kind of clicking of like, oh, well, the documentary journalism stuff that I've done that is very closely related to UX research and. The dialogue, script writing, stuff that I've done very closely related to um, Louis design. And then the problem solving and the logic was something that like my brain kind of did already, but getting a little bit more formalized in that with the people that I worked with was awesome. And then it just kind of like all pieced together.
0: That's super cool. So walk me through a little bit of that, right? So your, your writing plays, like what, did, do you have a friend that introduced you? Did you just have like interest? Like What kind of brought you into into the space you're in now?
1: So the first design job that I had was for a health tech company called Emmy, and okay. they got bought out later by Walters Klor. So if you're familiar with that organization, it's the same one. Um, okay. And it was they were originally looking for a healthcare writer. That's how they build the role. And they just wanted somebody that they were their perfect person did not have a medical background because what they were trying to do was create patient education that was online, interactive. Patient education. Okay. People who could not understand their doctors, which is like 99% of us, even like other doctors can't understand other doctors. So, right. Just trying to like translate it into plain language. So, it kind of helped to not have that background, uh-huh. but to have a good like ability with language and ability to sort of like parse bigger topics. So, I wound up getting the job. I loved it. And right off the bat, there was some sort of like baked in logic flows of if the patient wants to explore this topic, how do we, how does that change when they come back around so that you're not surfacing the same thing every time and that it feels a little bit more dynamic and conversational Mm -hmm. to where they're at. So um, that was really kind of like how I got in. And then from there, it was deeper dives into omni-channel and multimodal designing and doing more of like on-site field research uh, in the UX space and kind of like piecing all of that together. Then like now what I do at Grand Studio, we're far more like digital design and multi-service plus digital product plus conversation design, kind of like we have the big toolbox. We just pull out whatever's needed for that particular problem.
0: Okay, very cool. So I understand you've done a number of design things specifically kind of in the AI space. I'm wondering, or, you know, working with some AI tools. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of those.
1: Yeah. So um, for most of my work, I'm under NDA, so I can't necessarily name drop clients. Um, So I'll start with one that I can. (laughs) This one was one that I did for Emmy, and it was um, working on a team. We put together what effectively was like an AI brain that then sort of captured data from patients who had diabetes. And the intent here was either people that were just diagnosed with diabetes, so they didn't have like a ton of information and maybe needed a little bit more support, or people that had been diagnosed previously, but like for some reason or other had slipped and had just been in the hospital with uh, elevated blood sugar. So kind of like two different paths already of like people that know a little bit more and people that don't and Mm -hmm. something about diabetes in general this is kind of prevalent throughout healthcare. but I think specifically when we've got conditions that are chronic that are tied at least in the media and like public opinion to lifestyle Mm -hmm. you have a lot of um, baked in judgment assumptions Mm -hmm. from the recipient of any communications okay so the reason I think that this AI approach worked well in this instance is because you had to take the person out of it. So you don't have like a doctor in front of you or a nurse in front of you or a diabetes educator who's looking at you and being like, well, how are your sugars today? Did you get out and go for a walk? Which like, even if you ask that in the nicest possible neutral way, right. it can still feel judgy because of the history of people judging mm-hmm. for that. Gotcha. So putting that in the AI context just took the human judgment piece right out of it. And it was like, I am a robot. I am collecting some information. That's it. If you need like something else, I can connect you to somebody who can get you something else. But then like storage of the information was helpful to deliver the appropriate follow-ups. So like if somebody is in an elevated sugar state, well, then we can get them to a human to triage that and to give them like, more in-depth support Mm -hmm. we would also remember that for the next time so when we call we could kind of follow up on hey i know last time we talked you were in this state how are you doing now and kind of do one of those check-ins that isn't necessarily needed or appropriate if the person's like kind of killing it and doing fine then it's Mm -hmm. more of like a transactional hey just like checking in how are we doing today
0: yeah 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 that's super cool and i see like that's one area that i really see like AI excelling at you know a lot of people of course have the concern that's like oh no AI is going to come it's going to displace a lot of people a lot of jobs and you know I think those are definitely like conversations that are like great to have and look at and stuff but at the same time I see so many incredible areas like you mentioned right where maybe someone doesn't want to talk to a human about it right maybe they just want to talk to something that doesn't you know feel as judgmental or whatever or even you know I was recently talking to someone on the podcast that they're working on like autonomous helicopters to help deliver medicine to like conflict zones and they're like they're like you know some people like complain and say hey we're like displacing pilots jobs but they're like the pilot's life is at risk to you know fly this medicine into these conflict zones like you know you you know for us we're super thrilled that we have the ability to kind of so there's so many different areas that um i think ai have the the ability to kind of make these really positive impacts Um, and, uh, I think they're a lot less controversial to be like, yes, of course we should have more things like this. If it's really improving people's quality of life and, um, making it, making people's lives better. So something I would love to ask you about with, with this one that you worked on and some others, what were some of the more challenging aspects of kind of designing this whole thing for you?
1: Yeah, I think, um, in every instance, like as a designer, I mean, that's really like the, the hat that I wear. Um, it is. it is oftentimes challenging to work with folks who are not I think as in the weeds in like the design world as designers are Mm -hmm. like that's our job yeah and I think sometimes there can be um this this block of we designers are taught to have empathy for the users Uh and sometimes that One, like other people aren't necessarily don't have that beaten into them the way that designers have that Mm -hmm. beaten into them. So like that's just some sometimes needs to be learned or it's somebody innately has it or they don't. And so um, that can kind of be like a translation issue. Mm -hmm. But also designers tend to sometimes be a little um, holier than thou around that. And like forget that the empathy also needs to be had for your stakeholders and. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go to bat for the user and I'm going to defend them. And yes, that's great. That's important. That's our role. But things get done much better when you also have empathy for the people that you're working with. And so particularly, I think, in these these spaces where design has higher stakes Mm -hmm. in healthcare, in finance, where you have folks that for very good reason have to be black and white. There is less like nuance because someone's life or their livelihood is at stake.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Then that often feels like the biggest challenge is just working through the okay. I know that like clinically it has to be like this number Mm -hmm. for us to make a decision one way or the other. But if the person doesn't know it, which is sometimes very true for things like. Weight, blood pressure, um, sugars—like anything that you might be trying to collect, sort of by a self self service method in a healthcare mm-hmm. setting—if somebody doesn't know it, you have to have some accommodation for it for the system to work and for the person to continue to use it and trust it. Mm. And so that's, I think, where the conversations sometimes get really tense
0: meaning like if someone's putting their personal like medical data in but they don't know what like what their blood pressure is at or at a...
1: yeah like in the diabetes instance like we might call and be like what's your what's your sugar level today and somebody might say like oh it's i don't know it was 7.3 yesterday so probably 7.3 a clinician might want well no i need to know what it is today I... right now so that we can check this and make sure it's accurate and I think from the design side, you say, like, I hear you. I understand why you need this. But like, we also should account for this situation where somebody, maybe they like are on vacation and they don't have Mm -hmm. their tools with them.
0: Mm -hmm. So they want it to be like exactly to the T. And it's kind of tricky, like you mentioned too, because with areas like healthcare and finance, like there's regulations that also kind of oversee all this stuff. So yeah, I totally get that it's tricky, but at the same time. Yeah, that's so interesting, kind of being the the work between, especially in an industry like that, as, uh, yeah, the designer, you're definitely kind of put between those two places, trying to find the best solution that works for both of them, which I'm sure is is a challenge for sure. Um, something that I'm, I'd i be really curious about, I know you've worked, you know, you mentioned finance. Um, what are some areas that uh, are exciting to you in AI and finance that, you know, people are designing and, and working on today?
1: So... Um... A couple of the recent projects that Grand Studio has worked on, I have not personally been involved in these specific ones. But as the person like just kind of peeking in, I think they're really fine. Uh-huh. Um, one is just so in finance doing kind of like when we have big piles of data. So if you think about like a, a trader, they uh-huh. can make very quick, accurate decisions, sifting through massive amounts of data that are just like flying at them and changing in every moment. We've designed a dashboard to be able to basically pinpoint the second that it's like, hey, here's the thing that you said you're interested in. Here's another thing that you said you're interested in so that you're focused. You don't have to like look at everything. You mm-hmm. just have to look at the thing that matters in the moment that it matters. And you can kind of set those parameters to for the AI to deliver that to you. And then they can make that's like really cool. way better decisions about what they're buying and selling in that moment.
0: Yeah. That's super cool.
1: And then- okay. So- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no.
0: Oh, well, um, something that I was going to ask you about is like with this healthcare side and also with this finance side, something that I have always found challenging because I also have an AI startup and, and we're, we're working and designing and building it. And, uh, you know, we're a small lean team at the beginning. So we have a head of design, but I also have like, help, I've done like design work in the past, designed apps and stuff. So like I'm, I'm kind of in, in, it's probably like my designer's worst nightmare to be honest because like I'm always, you know, I have an opinion on everything, right? and like I've I built things so I'm like no we should do it like this but like you know he's obviously much more talented than myself but in any case um something that I know we've struggled with and I think a lot of listeners whether you're working on the corporate side or whether they're working on their own like AI tools they're building or even just people that are using AI tools how do you find the balance between making the design very simple intuitive clean easy to use but also like getting all of the features in that you want I think Like sometimes I've seen people on completely different sides of the spectrum with this where it's like super simple, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot there. And others where it's like, there's a ton of buttons and things to do. I have no idea what to do. So I'm kind of overwhelmed and like back away. How do you, as a designer, how do you kind of balance that? I'm sure you have that with a lot of projects.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, the key is user research. So before even getting into these are the features we're going to build, these are the requirements and sort of like setting that all up. Doing some research with people who either are existing users or are going to be representative of the people that might be using this to understand like mental models. How do they think about this stuff? What is like the sort of organizational mode that they have in their mind? What is the information that is super important to them? So when we're structuring hierarchy, we make sure that we've surfaced the right things in the right order where the I would naturally follow it, and then also understanding like what their workflow is. So we've designed stuff for electrical engineers, software for smart grids. And honestly, like I look at it and my mind like just gets shot because my brain doesn't think like that, but I do not need to use it. It doesn't matter uh-huh. if it blows my brain. It works for the electrical engineers. Uh huh. And I think like that feels like the real crux. You can't get to it without like doing the research, but like when you understand what somebody needs, you can deliver on that need, and then it it could be super busy, it could be super empty, but it, it's intuitive because it's meaningful.
0: I love that. I think that's that's a, a good key because definitely, um, you know, talking with my CTO, we'll sit down, and he'll show me like his code portals and all the things he's like working on and stuff, and to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I don't know what's going on. This looks overwhelming. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. It's like the you really have to focus on the user, what they need, and something that might seem overwhelming to me. And I'm like, this is a terrible design. But for an actual user, they, this is exactly what they want, and it's the best way to do something, you know? So that that's super interesting. Diana, tell us a little bit about your book. I, I kind of mentioned it in your in your uh, intro, but tell us a little bit about your book.
1: Yeah, so uh, my book co-authored with Rebecca Evanhoe is called Conversations with Things, And it is basically a practical guidebook for folks who are designing conversational AI. Um, So, whether that's a chatbot or a VUI, kind of, or multimodal, understanding a bit more about everything from like the principles and best practices of how to do stuff, as well as like just getting in the weeds on things that are weirdly hard to find, like documentation. And Mm -hmm. part of that is because it's a little bit still Wild West. There isn't one like Figma for everybody to use. Yeah. So people use like a lot of different methods to do it. So just kind of like going through some of those practical things that are a little bit harder to find examples of to teach people how to do this. And then, of course, there's like process and ethics and other things to be considering kind of like big picture as you're moving through the the design.
0: That's super cool. What's one maybe insight or valuable thing that you feel like people could take away from your book? Like Give us like a teaser uh, for people that might be interested in going in and getting it and I'll also uh, I'll mention I have a discount code if anyone is interested in the book that I will leave in the in the show notes as well.
1: So I mean I love multimodal stuff and I often find that it's hard to to find good information on it so for me that chapter is one of the more exciting chapters and I think especially as we think about like where AI is right now and where it's going this isn't again it's a tool in the toolbox of all the other tools that we can use and (laughs) The most successful solutions tend to be mashups of a couple different things. It might be an app that also has a chatbot integrated with it, or it might be um, a process that supports a digital tool, or the other way around. That's so, funny. knowing how to design for multimodal, multi channel experiences where you're connecting all the dots and still tuning into what does this mean for conversational AI and how does that serve the broader picture. That's what I really get excited about. So that's my favorite chapter. Okay. <laughs>
0: that's super cool. Very, very cool. Um, something I would love to ask you your opinion on is who do you think could use a little bit of improvement?
1: Ooh, okay. Um <laughs> I was actually I'm gonna not like call out this this chatbot, but like um I was surprised the other day I was I have a couple different um, credit cards and apps, uh-huh. and I was going through because we're gonna be traveling, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder if I need to like let anybody know that we're traveling." And I went through all the chatbot experiences, and the one that stood out to me as like really was Eno, the Capital One. Uh,
0: oh, really?
1: Yes, because Eno was so good for so long. Like it blew my mind, that I was like, "What? What's going on here?" And the thing that that caught me. It's not like it's awful or anything, but uh-huh. it's so um, programmatic. Uh-huh. I mean, like you can't, it doesn't really feel conversational, especially in this day and age where we've got a little bit more access to large language models. Yeah. Um, And it was repetitive with the choices that it was offering. So it wasn't uh-huh. like taking into consideration. It gave me like four choices. I tapped one of them. It responded. I was like, do you need any other help? And presented the same options again. And
0: I thought, oh, interesting.
1: Okay, well, that seems like a very basic thing that yeah could be served. Sort of, even if like I get like trans- transitioning to any new platform is a beast. So huh. fair enough. But like that piece is what caught me was that's that one's an easy fix.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Very very interesting. It's kind of crazy when you see like these big huge platforms, banks or other ones, and it's like they have some fundamental issue like that. Um, I don't know something something about banks and their customer support is you know always everyone's always got something to say about it but this game might take it to another level
1: well I will say like customer support I'm not gonna throw banks entirely uh, at fault here but customer support in general is where everybody really wants to to trim the fat right like to mm-hmm. to just scale it down as much as possible automate it as much as possible because people are costly and unfortunately customer service isn't really valued in the way that one might hope so that is not seen as money that is well spent and so i think
0: right you might think like sales like get more money bring more in less of the like you know keep what we have exactly
1: yeah Yeah, so i think i see a lot of the um especially when you were talking about like displacement of jobs that's Mm -hmm. where i think we see the most of that is people trying to clear out customer service centers and replace it solely with a with a bot
0: Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that one's tricky because it's like, definitely a human could give you a better experience. I feel like for a lot of times, but at the same time, the AI does like a fairly good job of automating a lot of the process. And as it gets better and better, like inevitably AI will be capable of doing a lot of those jobs. And so, yeah, that one's, that one's a tricky one. It's because it's less, it's less of even like, is it good or bad to replace people with AI? It's just like, it's more cost-effective. So love it or hate it, like companies will do it. You know, so that's kind of like what I don't know, like. Is there like regulations? Is there like, what do we do about that? How do we look at it? Because it's, you know, it's coming. And as you mentioned, that's kind of where everyone's first focuses on on clearing things out and doing stuff.
1: Yeah, we do like as part of our process, we do like an impact analysis of okay. whenever we're like designing an AI. What does this mean for the people who are in the roles currently? And like how? are you are we just straight up letting them go is there a way to reuse some of like this intrinsic knowledge that they have and maybe position them to do something else that is higher value to the company and that way we're not necessarily like clearing everybody out we're just repurposing them for something that does generate more direct revenue for the company
0: mhm that's awesome yeah and i think like that is a that's a big aspect is um ai makes companies definitely run a lot more efficiently you can be a lot more efficient but at the same time, you know, if people's role isn't needed because an AI is doing it, yeah, find a new role for them, find a new place for them in the company to to kind of grow and excel. And all of a sudden, your company is able to produce at so much higher of a level. Um, and, uh, you know, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about... Uh, they were talking to, like, some founder, and they're like, hey, like, are you, you know, what are your hiring plans for the next year? And he's like, I'm not planning on hiring anyone new because AI is essentially like leveling up my whole company. All of my developers are now, you know, twice as productive. All of my, you know, juniors are now acting like senior developers, whatever. Um, and so it wasn't like he was like, they found this productivity and they're just like, okay, great, we can let like, go half the workforce. They were like, no, like everyone in the company is now leveling up. We may not need to hire anyone for a moment while we like figure out what to do with all this extra productivity. But the whole company as a whole uh really started excelling more. And I think that's uh that that's a better mentality than like great, we have some productivity. Now let's just cut everyone to remain in the same place for a little bit less, you know, when you could double what your outputs are
1: essentially. Yeah, it's definitely like the the half glass empty, glass full kind of viewing of things.
0: Yeah. So something as we wrap up this podcast, something that I would love to ask you about is what is one piece of advice you feel like you could give to people that are currently designing in the AI space or, you know, trying to make their AI tools, their AI products, services within their companies um, you know, more user-friendly, more intuitive, you know, give, give us the design perspective.
1: I would say it's spending some time with people that are going to use it, whoever that end user is, whether it's like internal employees or outside customers and understanding, like, again, those big things of what are their mental models? What are, they, what are their needs? What are they trying to do? Because a lot of times we see, like, especially chatbots, but, like, any sort of conversational AI gets thrown out as, like, yes, we'll just put this up and it'll solve the problem. But it's not necessarily the mechanism that people want to interact. Like sometimes it's just a better layout on your website. You don't need a a chat bot. And Mm -hmm. getting to understand sort of like what people are actually trying to do and the ways in which they want to do it will help Mm -hmm. you decide like, is this even a thing? Is AI even the right thing for us to be doing here? Not to like Mm -hmm. knock it out because there are really great use cases for it. But it's I think People are more receptive when we as like an industry are a little bit more selective about where we are applying it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes actually useful and people are like, great, a chatbot as opposed to Jesus, a chatbot.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I think that's a great piece of advice. That is very applicable. Diana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, sharing your insights, your perspectives and everything that you're seeing. If people want to get in contact with you or um, your design agency, what's the best way for them to go about doing that?
1: Yeah, we are at grandstudio.com and um, they can email me at hello at grandstudio.com and I check that. So feel free to reach out there.
0: Awesome. And I will, to the listener, I will leave um, a link to that in the description of the podcast. Once again, thank you so much for coming on to the listener. Thank you so much for tuning into the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts and have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Thank you.